3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, and current ass. affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 8:30 a.m. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to 3CR 855 a.m. It is Thursday the 4th of June and today first up you're going to hear a mix from myself of music produced by First Nations artists. Then we'll hear part two of a three-part podcast presented by Deakin University students that participated in last year's Global Journalism Exchange program to Morocco. The idea is to understand how Think Tangier work with different communities to carve out a creative space in a rapidly expanding city that with high infrastructure changes bring urban and social challenges. After that, you're going to hear readings by Sam Peterson, Emily Johnson and Alison Whitaker, recorded as part of the online launch of Unmagazine 14.1 on CARE. The launch took place earlier in May. And lastly, we're going to hear a conversation between Marissa Spozaro from 3CR's Doing Time show, who spoke to Lex Watton about the compensation Palm Islanders received after they won $30 million in a class action in 2018. In 2018, the federal court found that police had been racist in their response to the uprising on Palm Island in 2004. 3CR Thursday Breakfast stands in solidarity with the uprising in Turtle Island. Black Lives Matter. To support First Nations families here, please donate to David Dungo's family at the Justice for Junior Black Lives Matter GoFundMe page. Donate to Kumanjai Walker's family for their fight for justice. The GoFundMe page is Justice for Yundamu Inquiry on Police Shooting. Support the Sisters Inside Free Her campaign to pay off fines for Aboriginal women in prison. And donate to Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, who are leading the Stop Black Deaths in Custody. Justice for George Floyd event this Saturday from 2pm at the Steps of Parliament House. No justice, no peace, no prisons, no police. And now to Kate Kelly with the news. The Greens have called for a Royal Commission into the botched robo-debt scheme amid growing demands for a judicial inquiry and an apology from the Morrison government. So Rachel Seward, a Green Senator and Chair of a Senate inquiry into the scheme, said on Tuesday she saw no other way forward than a Royal Commission into the scandal. On Monday, Labor's Government Services spokesman Bill Shorten appeared open to a judicial inquiry, though he said this would need to be discussed within the opposition. The comments from Labor and the Greens followed a call from the law academic and robo-debt expert Darren O'Donovan, who also called for a judicial inquiry and full audit of all Centrelink, Centrelink debt files. So Government Services Minister Stuart Robert made the announcement in a last-minute press conference late last Friday afternoon that the robo-debt would be repaid, saying the government will refund four four. 170,000 debts from 373,000 Australians from the start of July. 
There has been heavy criticism of the RoboDebt program from the start, with families of some of the victims saying receiving letters was a contributing factor in their loved ones committing suicide. And a New South Wales police officer has been placed on restricted duties after a video posted to social media showed the officer tripping an Aboriginal teenager while arresting him, slamming the boy's face, f face first onto bricks. So the arrest occurred about 5.30pm on Monday in the inner city suburb of Surrey Hills. A family member said the 16-year-old had to be taken by ambulance to hospital to receive x-rays after the arrest. One of the boy's relatives posted in the video caption that the boy was with friends in a park less than 100 metres from his home when the police arrested him for what she said was no reason at all. The police can be heard in the video talking to the group before the teenager was arrested. The police officer said, Open up your ears! To which someone off camera replied, I don't need to open up my ears, I'll crack you across the jaw, bro. The officer then began arresting the boy, using his legs to pull the teenager's feet from under him, while his arms were held back behind his back, causing the teenager to slam face first into the bricks and garden bed. The boy has sustained a bruised shoulder, cuts to his knee, face and elbow, and chipped teeth, a relative of the boy said. And a program by Melbourne City Council that was intended to help feed a 1,000 international students has had to be capped after 17,000 students applied. So the City Council announced this month that it would give international students $200 worth of vouchers to be spent at the Queen Victoria market. But this week, Lord Sally Cab asked the Andrews government to help fund the food program, and after discussions with the Trade Minister Martin Pulka, said about one million will be tipped in from state coffers. So universities including Melbourne, RMIT, Deakin, Victoria and the Australian Catholic University have also agreed to provide funding of up to a hundred thousand each for the vouchers. But the rush for the vouchers has placed um has placed a spotlight on the desperate situation Australia, that Australia's more than 650,000 international students have faced since the coronavirus state of emergency was called in March. To date, the Australian government has resisted calls from states, territories, councils and education lobbies for a national hardship fund for international students. And that's all the day's headlines.
then we heard Better Things by Kian, and then followed by that Grand Ideas by Alice Sky. Don't talk too loud, don't wanna stand out in this vacant crowd. They fill just space, they don't like your sound, they don't, they don't trust your broken mind. Swallow your history down and watch the bitter taste. Why be acting or rewriting yourself into something else? Tell me you come from in the odds that you have overcome to stand among them with a the warrior within the blood. It ain't no broken song, but a harmony of two tongues. Listen close here now, know that this is how the gods sound.
Shown in your heart, you no longer wanna live. Use your dream big, that your world's come crumbling down. Ain't no mother, ain't no father, or no family around. Just to see your black faces with tears in their eyes, who were being fed lies that their mothers all died. Just imagine. In a place you can't escape and you're just in the boys Slept across you get raped Yeah that's harsh and surreal But believe me this is real You will never understand the pain my people now feel You just hate and criticize Blind to the truth It's in the past is your only excuse So you don't wanna believe That my people still grieve In our heart there's a pain that ain't never gonna leave We were taken And they said it's for the best As they ripped that black baby from a screaming mother's chest Let her deal with the stress She's down and depressed As she watched all the rest get beat up and oppressed Such a shame that our people still see this now Kids are taken by the system now Are we supposed to come together And make it through the weather Forget about our past I think I see the future's better So this makes me sick January 26 is the day you have your barbies And you all get pissed But let me tell you how it is for my people it's the day that we survived all evil and still standing strong. Stand up. I said we still standing strong. We still stand strong. We still stand strong. And we still standing strong. Stand up. I said we still standing strong. We still stand strong. We fight for our people, fight to be heard Fight for our right to express these words No recognition for the oldest culture living on earth Instead they ride but see a drunk on the curb But now we still push through Like really what they teaching in school They made it seem like we were savages No morals or rules But we had villages and doctors and man-made tools Without our help you would've looked like fools You must have no idea Philip could have died by the spear for trying to take away a culture that was already here. You raped our women, took our children, all the feelings we fear. Just know the pain we feel is all still here and don't expect it to leave. Until you see our need to grieve for the ones that fell before us so the next could breathe. For our people who still die because of your disease, it's not as easy as your eyes to see. We've got to be that change. Fight to see this culture remain. Uncle Charlie, Uncle Chica, fall through all of that pain. You see our classrooms are empty, our jails are full. My cousin caught 10 years where yours graduated school. It's a Pity. I see it in my city They wonder why our generations walk around shitty Full of unhealed wounds 
Trauma now was passed with a spoon. They fed us lies and told us truth for the moon, but now we still stand strong. And just then we heard "Still Standing" by Kobe D, featuring Laya Knight. And this is Black Lives Matters by Jim Block and Ellie Mae. Let's talk about it. Yeah. We hit the streets, begging for the people to see what our lives worth, but they don't wanna believe. Claiming all lives matter, but you ain't at the rally. I stand on the shoulders of the fan that come before me, just the same as you, fan. So what you doing with the fact that you inherited this inheritance? Took the privilege, y'all took the wealth, took the lives of innocent boys and girls, still denying our experience. Made to feel lesser. I work with these kids, and they telling me they fed up. I'm working with these white folk who know enough and better. I'm working with the government, another pet nigga. New day, same rich. Nothing changed. We afraid. We glorifying mediocrity up to this day. Let's be real about it, and maybe then. We can transform this country, heal the pain for my great grandmama, for my nana, for my cousins, for my sisters and my mama, for our brothers up in luck, for these white folk who's sick and confused, and for these pleas who's sick enough to cheat us the way that they do it, for these politicians who forgot about what it means to operate from a place of humanity. Look, forget the pride and self-righteousness. This is gonna take a whole lot more than your good intent. Come on, let's go. If only you could see what this all means. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 855am. Today we're joined again by Shannon and Ebony, who came on last week to present part one of their three-part series produced on last year's Global Journalism Exchange in Country Program to Morocco. So just to recap for listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what Journalism Exchange is, or Global Journalism Exchange is? Uh, hi, I'm Ebony Dyke. And hello again, I am Shannon Tucker. So Global Journalism Exchange is a not-for-profit organisation working to improve co- cross-cultural understanding by fostering better informed journalism. Last year, the program took us and three other students from Deakin University to Morocco. And so you guys produced a podcast while you were over there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So in this podcast, we will explore Tangier, a rapidly expanding city in northern Morocco, through the lens of Think Tangier, a not-for-profit organisation. Founded in 2016, Think Tangier is a cultural platform that highlights the urban challenges arising in the city of Tangier, a region that has experienced rapid growth in a very short period of time. The organisation seeks to address the impacts of urbanisation, bringing together everyday citizens and members of the creative community, such as architects, artists, urban planners and researchers. Their goal is to advocate for better urban planning and enhance the individual and collective experience of people living within urban environments. The podcast will be structured as a three-part series, with each episode exploring a different yet interconnected theme that is at the heart of the organisation. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, last week's episode and what you guys will present today? Of course. So in last episode, Jonathan McQuee chatted with Amina and Yusuf about urbanisation and how it has impacted the city. They looked at how urban spaces can foster a sense of community and the role that Think Tonja plays in addressing the challenges of urbanisation in Tonjia. So on today's episode, we hear from car delegate Adair Winder, who talks with Amina and Yusuf about creative spaces. 
Um, so today we'll be looking into the work that Thin Tunja is doing to develop more creative space for artists. We will also look at how art is an integral part of Urban Matters and explore the importance of nurturing an artistic community in the city. And now we'll play the interview. Today we are joined with Amina Muhrid and Yusuf El Idrisi and we'll be talking about creative spaces. Last time we discussed the role that your organisation plays when it comes to facing challenges of urbanisation in Tangier. So I guess the first question is to tell us about the work you do and the work of the organization from a creative perspective. So, so here we are in Atelier Kisaria. It's a space dedicated to um, artistic production. So basically it's a space dedicated for artists uh, in Morocco and in Tangier specifically, where they can create by themselves and experiment a different kind of um, creative practice. Uh, when we decided to uh, open this space, we had in mind a clear idea. I mean, because in Morocco you have a lot of uh, space for showing uh, art space, you know what I mean, like galleries, exhibition, absolutely. But we don't have so much space for creating, you know what I mean, a place where artists, uh, no matter the field or no matter the medium, where you can just come and have a space dedicated to the production. And it was our statement at the beginning here, and also to mix contemporary art to handcraft, because we have also a huge practice of handcraft in Morocco. So how can we also have a space where we encourage uh, people to mix this diff those different practices between contemporary art and handcraft? Uh, okay, and so why art? Like, what are the benefits of using art as a medium to focus on urbanization? Mm. Good question. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll start and then you can uh, continue. One of the one of our mission and statement from the beginning was to bring back the artistic community in the city, because for a long time the Moroccan artists didn't have any opportunities within Morocco, or from. American uh, institutional organizations said uh, they have to travel and go outside to develop their career. So it was the first mission we have, like how can we open a space to encourage the new generation of artists. But also, uh, arts is, is the, I'm going to say, is the center of our work because we want to sensibilize people, you know, you want to uh, advocate for a, better, uh, for a better urban plan through also the artistic practice, because we think, and we are believe, we, be, we, we, I mean, we are deeply convinced that uh, when we talk about society, is not just something intellectual; it's also something sensible and something aesthetical. Let's say, so we collaborate with artists because they work to help us, you know, to advocate for urban, uh, better urban plan. Just because it's not just about when I say advocate, it just we don't advocate just uh, um, for the um, local authorities, but also for the community, urban community, let's say, in general sense. And we, we try to propose alternative experience throughout to explore the city. And for us, it's also something we can, uh, through, we can engage citizens, you know, through arts and artistic production, 
because you don't need to have you know uh, to have um, diplomas to experiment with your hand and with your heart throughout so also it's for, for us something Uh, we can be more democratic, you can say, like art in general sense can be more democratic than like just the theory. You want to add something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, personally, like, I think why art is, uh, like, is very central or very important like, to, to question these urban matters, because I think, like, first of all, like, the, we think about, like, we want to integrate the citizen at the center of, of, the, of the question, and like, uh, the urban planner need to To, um, to, to talk to, to the citizens and to be more in tune with the citizens. And I think also like the citizens are like have also this need to consume and to produce art. Like they don't necessarily only need uh, food and shelter, but they, they need also like it's integrated part of their growth, of their development as human beings. As she said, like there is the intellectual part and also the sensitive part. And this sensitive part, I think it's very central and We, if you are not necessarily in tune with it, we cannot have urban spaces safe because like art has also therapeutic like effects on people because um, uh, for example, like societies if um, they don't uh, advocate uh, art like as something very central, they will have for example more violence for example because like art it can be also a channel to Um, uh, to avoid this uh, uh, this violence, for example, and uh, also why art as is very central, I think, because art is necessarily like to to find it in the in the public space, like it's something that it is very needed, and also as a medium is a very subtle medium, like to to send messages and to talk about uh, urban matters and uh, social matters. So I, I guess um, you were saying a lot about urban spaces and you said it in the previous podcast too. So is there a lack of art, artists and creative spaces in Tangier? I can't, I can't say there is a lack of artists. There is plenty of artists in Morocco. <laughs> no, no, there is, a there is a lack of spaces for me, definitely. And for example, when it comes to the music in Tangier, it's super difficult to find a space where you can... Um, Uh, have a repetition with your band, for example, studios, for example, or just like um, non-profit studios where young band can meet and together and play, but also a space for showcase when it comes to your music. So yeah, we, we need, and, and I think it's more on Morocco in general, we don't have a cult artistic education at school first. So, and I think it's really something uh, missing on the education, because the, the new generation and youth people don't have uh, the op uh, opportunity to explore the artistic um, creation, let's say, creativity, their creativity in school. And then, yeah, we, miss, we have a, a lack of spaces, not physically, I mean, because we have plenty of uh, house of youth and half of, of cultural apps, but a space where there is a Uh, um, let's say a proper artistic direction a way to engage with the neighborhood a space where you feel also uh, let's say free to come in and learn something and go back to your community so in Casablanca I think there is more example of that Luzine is one of that mm. one of them 
But yeah, in Tangier we have, and Cinematheque, we were here, there today. Uh, it's also one of the space, but as you can see, the most living spaces, the most vibrant spaces, are more from, there are not uh, state ones, they are really coming from um, independent spaces. And I think it's something super important also to, 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 to notice the way like the so, civil society is really engaged on this process of developing the cultural uh, scene in Morocco. Art is often perceived as something that is more accessible by privileged classes. So I guess who is Think Tanja trying to reach and speak out to? And how important is it to you that artists and citizens connect? So we have different target group, let's say, target audience, to be honest. Even if, uh, if we don't like to talk about target audience. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's more like collaborators. Because I explain you the different kind of programs and activity we had in Think Tangier. And we intervene in different spaces in the city. So Atelier Kisaria is one of the spaces where we intervene, but we also intervene in some specific neighborhood directly uh, there. So we try to uh, have some kind of diversity on the formats and on the partners to reach these different groups. Why? Because we think like we all we are all part of making the city of the process of making the city. We are all part of the same. Uh, of, um, we are all engaged on the future of the city. So we are not focusing just, for example, on the privileged one on on the. Uh, let's say, uh, popular neighborhood and poor people uh, because it's a common subject and I don't remember who talk about the common good but this is something who comes to the common good. We, we are all involved on it. and But we try internally to develop different kind of medium to reach all these different groups. For example, we, communic we communicate in Arabic and in French and in English because it's important for us to reach all these different uh, groups, publics. And also we know like when we do something here, for example, uh, open studio, we will reach between 20 and 30 people, which is okay. But when we intervene directly in some neighborhoods, will be 20 or 30 other kind of people. And I think it's also something, uh, one of our responsibility as an urban laboratory to um, go to the people and not just, because we are in downtown here and this is something important, we have to develop our programs also outside downtown to um, to stay open to the different community where I'm not living uh, in, in downtown. But, um, like just one example about like the question, like something we were talking about earlier, which is Casaria uh, Prince Club, which was an exhibition, and the whole idea actually was like it was there was um, 14 artists, and seven of them were the, the emergent. emergent artists who just got their diplomas from the fine art school from from Tetuan. So the idea I think is to put people together. Um, independently of their classes or uh, their like their social rank or um, like the whole idea is to put people together to have like a proper society actually because like generally the problem is that we don't have these spaces where different kind of groups of people either privileged or not privileged they cannot they don't even meet they don't even know that they exist actually because there are different kind of spaces and generally like the 
the, like as we as we found like in the tour there are different kind of spaces spaces the for for rich people and spaces for marginalized people and they don't have the opportunity actually or the platform where they can actually connect or know each other or know that uh, they are actually both humans so you just spoke about one example of a creative project so what are some other examples of creative projects that you've been involved in so we developed from two years now, almost three years, a creative project in specific neighborhood in Tanja, which is called Things with Tina. So Think Tanja is the name of the project. And Things with Tina is the name of the neighborhood. Name, name of neighborhood. So how can we apply, not apply, but trying to um, develop the methodology and the approach of Think Tanja in the neighborhood. And so, for, for example, we invited a collective or architect from Italia, from Torino. And with the community of the neighborhood, they are developing a new uh, installation uh, we can, which can be used by the community itself, uh, depending on the need they have. Uh, so it will be an installation of in the urban spaces. And also with this community, we develop different kind of workshop, radio ones. Uh, we have also sound videos. So the idea is to collect, is to explore more, is to explore the urban, uh, the urban neighborhood through different mediums and practice. And also it's, it's a way to, uh, how do you say, embrace? No, encourage. To encourage the, the, the creativity of, of the community. So it's super interesting to see when you, when you, you open, a, when you create a space for creativity, it's amazing what's, what happened on, on it, you know? And this is what we are uh, exper experimented with, uh, with this community in this neighborhood. And we also see like how creative mediums, let's say, how it can be a fantastic opportunity for people to express themselves, but also to think outside the box. Thank you so much today uh, for the conversation today, guys. It was extremely insightful. Thank, thank you. And that was Adair Winder talking with Amina and Yusuf about creative spaces and how art can be used as a medium to combat the challenges associated with urbanisation in Tangier. If you'd like to find out more about Think Tanja, you can follow them on their social media at Think Tanja or visit their website, think-tanja.com. That's T-A-N-G-E-R. And that was Shannon and Ebony wrapping up an interview with Adair or by Adair Winder. All three participated in the Global Journalism Exchange 2019 Journalism Program to Morocco. That's all Deakin University students. This is a country for two weeks to enhance their cross-cultural journalism skills. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Next up, we'll hear a recording from the online launch of Unmagazine 14.1 on care. The issue was edited by Elena Gomez and me, Thursday Breakfast producer Rosie Isaac. Today we'll hear readings by three of the issue's contributors, Sam Peterson, Emily Johnson, and Alison Whitaker. Each reader is introduced by co-editor Elena Gomez. Sam Peterson is a NAM-based artist. Her work is about the political self, and Sam will be reading from her piece, Why I Write So Little, 
and I think we'll also get to hear something new from her tonight. So please welcome Sam. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. For me, the word care has become to mean so many bad things. I was bawling my eyes out in hospital. I had just had my stroke. A doctor just said he would not have recommended the surgery that had been the cause of the stroke. One of the nurses said it's okay, we can take care of you. He was only being lovely, poor guy. The fresh eruption of screams coming out of me at hearing. We can take care of you. I did not want their care. I want to go home. And what care? Yes, some of the nurses were awesome, but then some were not. I didn't feel cared for because there was no one I could count on. I used to dream of letting go, falling. And there would be all these arms to catch me, hold me, take care of me. That has never been the case for me. In a letter, they tried to allay my fear by saying best, most compassionate care. without really answering my questions. My question was, will they be given enough time? At a meeting about future disability housing, the word care was peppered all through it. To me, it has come to mean a dangerous concept. being care of. 
you start to lose self-determination. I actually feel terror in the movies where someone is in hospital and trying to say something very important, but the nurses assume they are raving and don't listen. And they call that care. And you are not being taken care of for a short time. It is forever. They have put a powerful word in a wrong place over a broken mess. And then there is the word carer. That little R. I hate it. To have anyone paid to take care of you is an oxymoron. They are being paid to do a job. You can't pay your emotions to care. The fact that you care should not come into it. I should love care. I do love care. I care about things. I care about you. That was, uh, that was so good. Um, thank you. Uh, okay. Um, our next reader is Emily Johnson. Emily is an artist who makes body-based work. She is from the Yupik Nation and is of Yupik and settler descent. She lives on Manahata in Lenapehoking, uh, the unceded homeland of Lenapehok people. She will be reading a section of her piece called Insurgent Love. Please welcome Emily. Hi everyone. Um, it's about 6.30 a.m. here in Lenapehoking. Um, a bit early for me, but I'm very happy to be here with you. And um, I'm sending love and care to everyone from here. And I would like to pay my respects to Lenape ancestors and people past, present and future. And I really miss be being in Bunurong and Wawandri land. And so thank you all for this little bit of connection. Um, and thank you to Sarah, Elena, Rosie, Sam, Chi, Melody, and Allison. Uh, my friend Karen Reckley and I are writing something new, and I just wanna share uh, one, one little sentence from that, which is, intimacy became no longer about touch, 
but rather of separation, in-betweenness. They discovered the dark matter in between reaching out hands. And this in-between dark matter became the space that helped us find one another. And for the excerpt uh, from Un, my cousin, Ducky, and I like to get together with grandma to make a gudak, a sweet mixture of whipped seal oil or Crisco, berries, sugar, whitefish. We bring my niece, Kaya, if we can, teach her as we also learn. My friend and collaborator, Jen Ray, a brilliant NARM-based artist, researcher, and I made this delicious dessert in 2017 for the occasion of shore feast in NARM. We were after an Alaska-Australia agudic of sorts. With cousin Ducky, my mom, and grandma on the phone, we worked in the downstairs kitchen at Art's house, trying to find the right consistency, color, and flavor with rainforest cherry, lily pilly, muntries, bush honey, and whiting in place of blueberry, salmonberry, sultanas, and whitefish. The whiting, so much smaller than whitefish with so many more bones. The bush honey, a dark color that changed the tone until we whipped it enough. The Crisco, difficult to find in Australia, save expat and dear friend, Nancy Black, who knew where to get it. Our efforts and the challenge and idea of sharing something from home merged with Jen's skill and determination and the collaborative effort of us all, including the elderly Italian man who harvested and delivered prickly pears for the sweet reduction we needed. Nothing makes me proud as offering something my grandma taught us to make. We surge forward with what we are trying to build and make and learn and remember with the same effort our grandmas and ancestors give or gave or held back out of necessity. I smiled every time someone came back for seconds of the fish ice cream. Grandma likes this story too. When I stood at the front lines at Osheti Shakoan, for Osheti Shakoan, with fellow water protectors facing bullets, water hoses, arrest, and heartbreak at the fact that we have to protect what is ours in the first place, I raised up my arms. My fellow protectors led in song and strength and called upon colonizing trespassers to leave sacred ground. And we all lifted our arms to show. We had no weapons. Along with my fellow protectors, I danced right foot and left foot, right foot and left foot with my arms raised up. And I looked at each of the men standing above us on the hill, riot gear on, visors pulled down, weapons and hoses drawn. I saw anger in them. And I thought about the people who love them because surely they exist. I asked each of the men to feel love, to connect with love, to look at us with love. I knew each of these men had a choice. They could put down their gun. They could turn around. They could go home. They did not choose this. I remember our singing in the face of violence. I remember our arms raised. We were on that front line a long time. It was cold and tense, but when I think back to that extended time on that riverbank, I feel a protection around us, the songs, the smoke, the prayers and love offered. 
And when I think of this love we offered, I come so close to grief. There is so much to grief. My grandma told me she was not allowed to attend Yurok dance in the village where she grew up. She said, Mama didn't let us go. She was allowed to watch the dancers practice, and sometimes she made the trip across the river with her mom and sisters in winter to do so. But when the village gathered for Yurok, when we would ask her if we could go, she just said, no, you can't go. Her mother never explained it. She just said, no, you can't go. In 1994, when Grandma and I went to a dance festival in St. Mary's, Alaska, it was the first time she had seen Yurok in decades. How do we feel that rub of love and grief? Mama didn't let us go. How do we let that propel us to good action? Put down your guns. How do we say each day, I am sorry? How do we say each day, I forgive you? And what from that might spark? How do I hold my hands and my arms up to my enemy? Not in surrender, not to show I have no weapons, but in surging, surgent love, a love that brings forth every bit of change we need to see. Thank you. Our final reader tonight is Alison Whitaker. Alison is a Gomorrah multitasker from the floodplains of Gunnedah in New South Wales. Between 2017 and 2018, she was a Fulbright Scholar at Harvard Law School, where she was named the Dean Scholar in Race, Gender and Criminal Law. Alison will be reading from her poem, uh, Caravan. Please welcome Alison. Yama, everybody. I'm Alison. I'm talking to you tonight uh, from Mongol country, uh, and I want to take a brief moment in their long, long history to acknowledge Mongol elders past and present and to acknowledge Mongol ancestors and sovereignty. Um, I wonder if you would join me in this moment um, by putting the name of the country and the people whose country it is uh, in the chat um, as a, a small act of acknowledgement, despite, I guess, our dispersal. And I'm going to read to you while we do that from Caravan. Caravan. Three caravans out the back fridge under the house. Floodwater bin coming up. Two bedroom fibro. Boat tied to the side. Five kids moving all their stuff up. A big boiler for washing. Caravans going somewhere sans occupants. And there were a dozen occupants. The days before climate catastrophe was a well-worn concept. We were in a catastrophe of another kind. The climate with us. A mob dispersed to a particular little side street because it's cheap and also because it's a place you never have to go if you're white and also because 
It's overlooking a river we loved. Draining, draining, and then not, and then big, and then we flee. We care, but our sense of how to care is so deprived of an outlet or resources, a nicely dressed hand caressing a sucking chest wound. Nen, she likes sapphires, big, dark, cheap ones on rings. They're in a box, so if it floods, she can run with them. Run hot like the dirt mist floors over Tip Arena Reserve, where she told my pop, as he courted her, with rough hands and a tin wall, I can't live here. I can't, like this. A moot point, it turned out, in all the ways. It got shut down when government control passed from state to Commonwealth, Sydney building to Canberra building, kept against will, and then kept away. It was 1967, and then it wasn't. Then it was 1983, and then it was 1970, and then it was 2002. The Namoy and us running to a two-bedroom fibro on a beloved floodplain. Fire ones that looked just the same in Manila and then Tamworth. And then via a vital urge to be kept together by catastrophe. And then by something else. And then not always. One caravan under a tarp fridge in the shed. Dirt is cracked, river reeds on fire, four bedroom, red brick. I'm not fleeing nothing now. I'm helping someone I love watch wash up. We're both taking SSRIs and calcium channel blockers because we're depressed and our blood pressure is 190 over 95. It was 1995 and I was three until I wasn't. And I was there until I wasn't. Hey, it's a metaphor for mobility and betrayal. But I'm better at Gamilaroi for some reason in the city. Climate catastrophe, big word around, since everyone found themselves coming down with us. We're out here now, like cappuccino foaming, still more or less bogan, still hissing with despair. But hey, we're in on the Facebook coffee mum memes, dispersed to a part of town where upwardly mobile mob get a shed, net and aircon, because it's mid-tier, and also because it's close enough to the other place. Drought draining, draining and draining and draining, and then we can flush a toilet just once a day. And then we flee. Who can bear to touch the wound anymore? Even with a sapphire hand. Even with all these archives. Even with Pop in a box. While Nen runs with him. Under a dirt floor. Under the memory of flood. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Up next, we hear an interview with Palm Island man Lex Watton from 3CR's Doin' Time.
Doan Times' Marissa speaks to Lex Watton about the Channel 9 news report, aired on the 18th of May 2020, on how Palm Island compensation recipients spent their money. Marissa begins the interview by outlining the events of 2004 and the racially motivated state violence endured by Palm Islanders. So just to give a little bit of introduction um, about what happened with Lex. So police actions on that day when he was arrested were violent, intimidatory and a state of emergency was declared on the island, riot police wearing balaclavas and armed with semi-automatic rifles stormed households late at night, pointing weapons at children and elderly people and arresting with extreme force. And Watton himself was tasered in front of his home while his family watched. And Lex, if you're on hold and listening, um, I apologise But I, for if it's caused you... I'm hoping it's not going to cause you trauma, but I had to actually say this on air to give listeners a bit of background. Watton, along with his wife Cecilia and his mother Agnes, and on behalf of the entire class of Indigenous people on Palm Island who were residents during the 2004 protests, um, had brought a class action against the Queensland Police to seek redress for the racial discrimination exhibited by police during November of 2004. His lawyers, Levitt Robinson solicitors, alleged institutionalised racism on the part of Queensland Police, not only in the violent behaviour towards Palm Island residents, but also in their failure to adequately investigate the death in custody of Damaji. And there's a little bit of a quote here. Lex says, people are still very scarred and affected by what took place in 2004. And, And by the way, Lex was successful in his actions and he had plans for how the compensation could serve the people of Palm Island. Lex is not about money. As as, um, as Channel Nine is saying, and it's it's extremely racist all this media hype, and we're going to be speaking to him about the fact that despite all this humanitarian stuff that Lex has been doing, and despite the fact that he was gagged after he got out of prison while he was on parole, he wasn't allowed to speak to the media. You're going to hear the real story because three CR. Um, gives us the real story about things. We're here to provide alternative media and a safe environment for First Nations people and, indeed, a safe environment for all vulnerable communities. So we're going to be speaking with Lex now because Channel 9 is saying and other media outlets are saying that the compensation was was spent on motorbikes and luxury things, which is simply not true. Hello, Lex. Welcome to the program. Hello. Yes. It's lovely to have you. Now, did you hear that introduction, Lex? Yes, yes. Good, good. So it is important, isn't it, that we speak to listeners about that. And I suppose I just wanted to hear from you because this media um, story on Channel 9 is actually quite deplorable, isn't it? You know, they they make... uh, they make Palm Island look really bad. Uh, you know, they talk about the residents... They talk about how the residents won their legal fight against the Queensland Police Service. And they talk about how violent they were and saying that the compensation money was spent recklessly on luxury. Can you comment on that? Well, like, like you said, um, 
yes, there was a bit of luxury that it was spent on some of the money, but that's their money and they spend it however they want to spend it. You know exactly. what I mean? And um, it's, it's no one's business. And um, as you stated, it wasn't about money. As uh, I think I raised it, which is some years ago, how I would have liked to have seen the compensation um, awarded to us was to, for the state to um, fund programs for, say, about 20 years without um, fail. And um, I didn't want uh, monetary um, compensation towards individuals or myself. Uh, oh, yeah, it would be good to get it myself, you know what I mean? Because I'm the one who's putting the neck out there, you know what I mean? And, um, so it didn't go to you, it went to the community? No, well, I did receive some monetary um, yeah. thing, and that was after we actually um, were awarded. And um, But as you, if you could um, go back to the time when um, it was um, stated that we uh, we were right in our thing and that um, the state, uh, well, the, the Crown, I suppose, uh, but federal high courts found in our favour. Um, the state wanted to settle the matter by giving me my payment, and then um, in the process, after they had a um, 21 days to uh, lodge an appeal, and on the last day of the 21 days, um, they actually lodged an appeal, and um, then it sort of brought more thing. But we were more or less preparing to. Um, Fight them, but then others got into action where there were petitions. Um, I think we there was a petition put out on our behalf for the state to um, drop the um, the um, appeal and just pay the pass out. And um, so we were looking for twenty five thousand uh, signatures. We got over well over thirty something thousand signatures. And then um, there were other things that happened at the time, and I also, it was pretty close to some state election, and I said... Now, I'd which petition was this, Lex? This is for the um, state to drop the suit. Oh, yes, yes. And so so um, then I also announced that I'd be running in the um, uh, state seat of Townsville just to um, take away the votes by taking away the whatever numbers here from Palm Island, because Palm Island determines the seat of towns, federal and state. Yeah. Uh, so whether that was all part of the things, so they decided to um, drop the um, appeal, I don't know. But then there were um, media reports saying that the um, state, um, their um, head um, solicitor said, look, just pay the community out and, you know, get on with things. And so that's why the state um, decided to drop the um, appeal. And then we went into negotiations on how much. Um, so we had a bit of time to um, then, um, I think we had 12 months to um, Claimants registered, and out of, it was open to 2,000 people. Only 447 local people claimed, and um, yep. due to some um, some of the leaders at the time with their um, hatred towards myself, were 
informing community people not to uh, lodge a claim because they didn't believe that uh, they would receive anything out of it. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. their bad luck. And then, uh, as of recent, when there was a bit of a pay- payment uh, in February, I think, or late February, March, there was some the 90% of their payments were um, awarded to the claimants. Um, when they had the ones who missed out aired um, the amounts, the bloody kicking up a stink and wanting to, um, they had petitions and stuff, wanting to petition the state to um, pay them out, but already signed off, you know what I mean? But You know, Lex, it sounds like yeah. a bit of a mess to me. It sounds like it's a bit of a mess. And I think really what this boils down to, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, is that really this this shouldn't be about money or what it was spent on. And I'll, I'll make a correction on there because I said it wasn't true that um, there were luxury items. But it isn't true really across the board because not everybody would have done that. And also, you're right, it's none of anyone's business if people want to buy luxury, luxury things. I mean, what what is it? what is it to the media? What is it to the government as to how people spend their money anyway? Uh, probably once a promotion. I saw another um, reporter from the same bloody um, channel, uh, Channel yeah. 9, uh, did, a same, did a report on me, and his name was Tim Arbia, and he had the same um, police officer, Kathy Richardson, come to my house uh, while I was going home for lunch on the particular day and sort of ambushed me. And um, when at the time when... Um, it was in the media that um, the state settled with us. Um, yeah, they were spreading the um, rumours or gossip to um, get public opinion, I suppose, or support around um, why we should receive the money and saying that um, none of the police officers were awarded any compensation. But as my lawyer said, and which was true, all the police officers that were here on the island at the time received bravery awards. And not only that, uh, the truth is they all actually um, have left the force saying they were too traumatised from what happened here on Palm Island and that they're all on post-traumatic stress disorder and they're all going to be paid up until the time they retire. That's what the, um, why the public don't know about what happened. Yeah, so Absolutely. they're on pay. And, um, but going back to, yes, where they spent the money, that's no one's business. But the thing is, they received the money and they did what they did. And I've seen a lot of good things. What the reporter didn't report was what I said to him, um, thinking that he was doing the right thing by me. I, I told him that all the generosity that I've seen from people, and you would have seen if you've seen the report, they would have added and cut things to suit themselves. And there was yes. not one mention of someone being deceased that received the money, or deceased people received money, which is true. There were people that claimed for money, but they are deceased at the moment. And if they had an estate, then that estate is entitled to that uh, money and stuff absolutely, like that. Absolutely, Lex. No, you, you, you're absolutely and, right. And in fact... You know, it's perfectly all right, isn't it, for, for mining corporations and yeah. uh, to grow fat on the profits of nuclear testing and uh, and, and nuclear um, mining, and it's perfectly mm. all right for them to buy yachts. 
But, you know, when you talk about Aboriginal people, you've got a lot of 1788 all over again mentality where they're saying that Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders are always trying to reap um, financial benefits for themselves. And well, did that they ever do a report on stolen wages and how yes. much millions and billions of dollars have been stolen from our, our, our um, welfare packs? Yeah? And we've been pushed off the land so that they can rape the land and bloody do everything else what they did today. And now we've, we've got to fight to actually prove our, um, what is it, our um, traditional ownership of certain parts of the country. You know what I mean? So they don't talk about that and all the rape of the land and what they did to us. Yes. You know, all of this stuff is, yeah, I don't want to go down that track, but the thing is, um, look, there is um, Media Watch will be doing a spread tonight from what I was told on all of this stuff. And um, the report itself was way out of line and it was a racist report. But they need to Very be accountable for, for what... Um, the report that they've done, like I said, the, this bloke is probably looking for a, a, um, a promotion because, like I said, the reporter that ambushed me before, I've seen him only two weeks ago, a week before this report, um, he was reporting from um, Washington, a Tim Arvia. And um, so whether he got a promotion from Rupert Murdoch, I don't know. I, you know, I, maybe this bloke's once the same, you know, I, I don't know. But no, anyway, I know what you're saying. Um, but it's, it's these media outlets, you know, from what I'm seeing here, I'm just having a look at the Channel 9 report here. And mm. the, the thing that, that is, is very, very racist here as well. They don't say why, why we yeah. received the money. They don't say Correct. why. Because That's exactly the children right. had guns held to their heads. They don't see why the judge saw in our favour. They didn't even mm. report why. The judge ruled in our favour because and it should have been reported. The state of emergency, Marissa, was found to be illegal. So they were That's here right. on false pretenses from the very beginning. It was all of smokescreen to cover up the real issue of the police officer killing one of our own, our own locals. And you, Lex, we don't want to talk about that. Exactly. Sorry. I'm just going to show you here, and you probably know this already, and I, I was going to ask you to comment, comment on this. Not only did they, did they make comments about the, the sports cars and everything, but nowhere in there do they talk about what happened and why this happened. Like you said, all they say is, oh, no, I know, November 26, 2004, rampaging residents fuelled by the death of one of their own in custody, that they, mm. they burnt down the police station, courthouse, and an officer's residence. Like, all they're talking about is how the local police were affected, you know, and, and, they, and they call you rioters. I mean, they're making out like like Aboriginal people just want to well, get the money. Marissa, they didn't talk about how the police officers, they say that they ran for their lives, and they're in that clip that they showed, they didn't run for their... They were walking to the hospital, and they had smiles on their faces. So they went in fearing for their lives. Yes, they show a clip where young locals were throwing rock at them, but who, they don't, if you really look into the thing, who shushed them and quiet those young fellas down? It was me. And if we really wanted to get in behind that fence, 
All we had to do was walk in round the fence that they went ran into into the barracks. The gate was left open. All of that's just it's all um, part of the um, court, you know, the legal process. It was all uncovered. All the, the lies. Yeah, it's it's really it's just a cover up, you know. Police investigating police, and you know it, it's such a um, a mockery. A They've a made a mockery of him at his death. Yeah, a three-year-old supposed to have bought himself a vehicle and two friends of his. What I did tell the reporter, it was my niece that bought three cars. And that's fair business what she did with it. She bought it for her sister, herself, and her mother. But they say it was a three-year-old. How oh. false is that? And the boat that they show on this, on this particular um, barge, barge to the island, it was a boat that a local person who received finance and that's some two years ago. Two Bring years the Human ago. Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission. And and they reported that the vote and the bloke, I was only, well, two other young blokes told me they brought it to my attention and they said, that boat belongs to so-and-so. So I rang him up. He said, yeah, that's my boat in then I had um, ABC ringing the other day, and he confirmed it to him. So that's on uh, Media Watch tonight. So all your listeners, watch a bit of the Media Watch tonight. Get it out there as of from this um, interview up until tonight. Just letting people know that you know, be on. Is the Media Watch going to be going to be all right though, Lex? Well, Media Watch, you know, I like watching it, and they you know yeah. try and. Um, They'll be better. Yep. Yeah. But you know, you know what, what's really sad, Lex? I'll tell you what's really, really sad, what I found very, very disrespectful, um, that I was having a look at this Channel 9 report, and it says that Domaji died in custody at Palm Island Police Station after being arrested for being drunk and causing a nuisance. What a disrespect That's bullshit. to the death. They found that what, what, what the three coronal inquests found that he shouldn't, as it was the last resort for him to be arrested. And then he offended no one, even the bloody police liaison officer who he's supposed to have sworn at, which he didn't swear at. All he said to him was, you shouldn't be locking up your own. And then he really got offended because it was his intent to go and bloody arrest him to bloody and do what he wanted to. I don't know, he might have had a bloody bad morning that evening. Well, you know? Yeah. He had a he had a partner he had at the time and she was pregnant. Maybe he had a blue with air that morning. We don't know. We'll never know. No, we won't. Yeah? But you know, I'm so glad that, that you were able to come on air, Lex, and, and talk about this because really this is not about justifying why you got the money. It's not about that. This is really about reporting on some of the atrocities that happened and looking oh, at the fact a lot of this. That's right, and compensation doesn't actually erase the trauma. But you know, what you're entitled to get some money. Well, the courts found in our favour. So what's wrong with that? What the, what the wider public should know and and don't know if they don't is that the loyal court for my bloody thing is the loyal court for those useless bloody white people who put their monies into investment in Storm Financial 
and then he got the monies back out of the banks for them, you know? So, and there was no kick up or stink about yeah. the people who foolishly tried to invest their money in, in, in a, a Ponzi and stuff like that, you know? That's Where's exactly the, right. I mean, you know, that? that's right. The Queensland government lost the class action. Too bad. That's it. You know, you know? They, they, look, if they would have settled what us in the way I wanted to settle, we had three lots of negotiations before we went to court, and they believed that we would we didn't have a case. So we continued, and the lawyer told them at the very beginning, look, Mr. Wharton will not be short on finance to um, fight you. And we were successful. And they had the opportunity to appeal, but if it's the case that their lawyer said to them, don't worry about trying to appeal this thing because it could cost you even more. And you know, what like... they don't realise, like I said, Ms. Marissa... Yeah. 447 people claimed it was open to 2,000 people. If the 2,000, or even if it was 1,500 to 2,000 people claimed, how much more it would be? That's exactly right. I agree with you, Lex. And, you know, it makes me sick to the stomach reading this stuff. They're, They're listing all the items that people bought. You know, luxury boats and lavish items purchased with the compensation... You know, I'm hoping media watch is better. So what, I'm in a shop, uh, in a furniture store in there, and then five families, five different families come in and bought furniture. So what, they're not entitled to buy furniture? Yeah, yeah. But look, I I hope you've been able to to help you and your family with some of that money, Lex. Yeah, well, look, I do the right thing. I, I don't drink, gamble or smoke, so, I, you know... Don't I'm tell me how you've spent it. That's business. you know we don't need to spend no, no, money. No, no. Oh, that's okay. What he, what he didn't report is what I'm going to do with the money. I'm setting up a small business here. Yeah. And money's going towards that. We don't have it. And that, Marissa, from, listen there. From the very beginning when we won the thing, and they were all the bloody rednecks were out there having their say, whether it's social media or whatever. What they don't. The thing is what I said at the time, yes, Palm Islanders who will benefit out of this money through um, compensation, we will benefit materially to a certain degree, but we don't have an economy here, Palm Island. The council economy, economy will benefit more than the Palm Islanders because that's where we go when we want to buy something. We don't go to England, we just trade opposite and closer. We go to Townsville, which is further apart, but it's that's bigger, right. and that's where yeah. we go to. Yep. The ferries, the motels, the bloody yep. um, fast food, all of that stuff when the people got their money, you know, um, the furniture, uh, the barge service, everyone, they're still backed up for three months trying to get stuff over here. So Shame on the corporate media. Shame on the corporate media. That they're, they're not reporting the real story. That's it. Same. You know, and every night, what you listen to every night on the media, on the news, the economy, the economy, the economy. That's all white man talks about. He worries about that. 
a black man can't have a bit of money and then spend it. That's exactly right. Lex, we're running out of time. We're going to be interviewing um, Chris Breen soon from the Refugee Action Collective, but I wanted to really thank you so much for coming onto the show. That's okay, righty. As long as I get the message out there, like I said, watch tonight, media, watch and see what the report is all about, and hopefully it's yes. a good report. And, you um, did get yeah, the message out loud and clear. Yeah, whether it's on yeah. social media or whatever, yeah. Don't worry, Lex. You don't worry, okay? No, I'm not worried. Thank you so much. You, you take care. Yes, okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Yes, soon. Bye. Bye-bye. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. That was an interview with Lex Watton from 3CR's Doing Time show. You can hear Doing Time on 3CR on your dial 855am Monday 4 till 5pm or you can listen back on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au slash time. The episode of Media Watch discussed in the interview can be found on the ABC website abc.net.au slash mediawatch. G'day you mob, Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong Stay safe and, of course, keep listening to 3CR Community Radio to keep connected to the community. We'll get through this and hope to see you real soon. Bye. 3CR Thursday Breakfast stands in solidarity with the uprising in Turtle Island. Black Lives Matter. To support First Nations families here, please donate to David Dungay's family at the Justice for Junior Black Lives Matter GoFundMe page. Donate to Kumanjai Walker's family for their fight for justice. The GoFundMe page is Justice for Yundamu Inquiry on Police Shooting. Support the Sisters Inside Free Her campaign to pay off fines for Aboriginal women in prison. And donate to Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, who are leading the Stop Black Deaths in Custody, Justice for George Floyd event, this Saturday, from 2pm at the Steps of Parliament House. No justice, no peace, no prisons, no police. So today, first up, we heard a mix of music produced by First Nations artists, and then we heard part two of a three-part podcast presented by Deakin University students that participated in last year's Global Journalism Exchange Program to Morocco. And then we heard some readings by Sam Peterson, Emily Johnson and Alison Whitaker recorded as part of the online launch of Unmagazine 14.1 on care. And then lastly, we had an interview between Marissa Spazzaro from 3CR's Doing Time show, who spoke to Lex Watton about the compensation that Palm Islanders received after they won $30 million in a class action in 2018. Stay tuned for Lost in Science. See you back here next week. <laughs> 